Last Sunday evening, <clears throat> I was preaching on Luke chapter 1 and the passage where uh, Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. It's right after what people call the Annunciation, where the angel Gabriel goes uh, to Mary and tells her she's going to become the mother of Jesus. Uh, that passage we read tonight is the fifth lesson, if you're following along. And uh, Gabriel says to her, listen, you're relative Elizabeth, who has been been unable to have children all of her life, um, she's also expecting, miraculously, six months along, she was. And so immediately after that visit from the angel, we find Mary traveling the multi-day journey from Nazareth down to Judea to visit Elizabeth and to share together in this experience Um, Each of these women has experienced a miraculous pregnancy and of different kinds, and yet it's united by that supernatural element and this providential timing of the Lord. And as Mary enters Elizabeth's home, yet another miracle takes place as John the Baptist uh, leaps in uh, for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth feels this commotion within her, and she knows something remarkable has happened as Mary comes through the door. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she blesses Mary, and she says, "Um, Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then she says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. At that very moment, Mary replies. She speaks up in what is essentially a psalm of praise to God. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. Uh, We actually sang it earlier. The song of Mary uh, that we sang is actually this passage set to music and um, and, and to verse. So let's read uh, Luke chapter 1 then. I'll read verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, and returned to her home. I'd like to bring out three things from Mary's song tonight. Three things that um, the history of Jesus coming teaches to us, that uh, Mary's, Mary sort of gives voice to here in her song. And those three things that this history of Christmas gives to us that I want us to take to heart this Christmas time are, first, a bigger view of God. A bigger view of God. Second will be a world turned right side up. 
And then last, a promise that God remembers. Promise that God remembers. So Mary begins by saying here, my soul magnifies the Lord. And to magnify something is to make it appear bigger. This microphone is magnifying my voice for all of you. Um, And uh, a magnifying glass, of course, you hold up to something and it makes it appear larger. So often our view of God is simply too small. It's simply too small. And that goes for the way that we think about his power, his holiness, his authority, his sovereignty. And it also goes for the way that we think about his love, his compassion, his gentleness, his grace. See, with all of these things, we have this tendency to measure God by a human scale. To measure him um, in our very little imaginations by what seems possible to us. What seems familiar to us according to what we're able to do or what the, the feelings or the intentions or the choices that we're able to muster up. Of course, the message to, that Gabriel had for Mary earlier in this chapter is that with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so now, Mary is saying, I want to magnify God. I want to make God appear bigger to me and to the people around me. For him to loom larger in our minds, in our hearts, in our imaginations, to fill more of our field of vision. And, and so she's saying, just look at me. Look at how, how God has taken this humble nobody of a servant of his, and he has done such great things for me. It's Mary's message here. And don't you understand, you don't have to be the mother of Jesus to be able to say that. Okay? There's no doubt. Mary prayed this prayer in an absolutely unique way. Um, through Mary's life, through Mary's experiences, through the virgin birth, we get this bigger view of God that I'm talking about in a one-of-a-kind kind of way, Some, uh, a way we, we can't get it anywhere else except here with Mary in the virgin birth. At the same time, though, this prayer of Mary is a prayer that all of us can join in as well because each one of us can say that he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for all those who fear him. From generation to generation, she says, right down to our generation, okay? To our time, to our families, to our churches. And so in our time, then, our task, our calling, is first to behold. And then to show to others through the magnifying glass of the word of God, how this same God who was mighty then is mighty now and holy is his name and he has done great things for us now in our time, in our generation. Our task is to magnify this same God, to put his greatness and his glory on display. So we mean we say our chief end is to glorify God. It can go over our heads as just some jargon. What does glorify me mean? This is what it means. It means to make God seem bigger to ourselves and to others. 
a bigger view of God, to put his glory on display in his greatness. I often find Christmas to be a very distracting time for me and my weakness, a time when I get my attention pulled in a lot of different directions, and that may be true for you too, but I'm hoping that in this moment, right now tonight, I hope that we are being drawn back to this bigger view of God that I'm talking about, to remember that God in his infinite mercy entered into the world that he had made, became flesh and dwelt among us, and that we have seen his glory in the birth of Christ, in Christ himself. Glory is the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It makes me think of that other related text in the Psalms where it says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. That's what Mary's inviting us to do implicitly in this text. And what I'm inviting you to do right now is to magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's magnify the Lord this Christmas as Christmas gives to us a bigger view of God. Second, we get in Mary's song a picture of a world turned right side up. Listen again, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He says he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Um, Mary, of course, was nobody, anybody would have ordinarily heard of, cared about in the great big Roman world that she lived in, and yet God chose her to carry Jesus. He took this person, small, unimportant in most people's eyes, and he gave to her this tremendous honor of carrying the Son of God. But then you think, by contrast, of someone like King Herod, the great villain of the Christmas history, right? Very powerful man in his own day. You remember how his efforts to, to seek and destroy the baby Jesus ended in failure. And if you think about it, that great King Herod today is quite literally ancient history. Whereas the baby Jesus that he failed to destroy is reigning now, today, at this moment, on the throne of heaven. A great illustration. Not only an illustration, it's really at the heart of what Mary is talking about here. Christmas history demonstrates for us how the kingdom of God works differently, in many ways the opposite of what we observe and what we've learned to expect from life in a broken and fallen world, a world where wealth and power are often treated as all-important, where pride is frequently treated as a virtue, where people who seem to be strong, who seem to be really good at getting what they want from other people, those are the kinds of people that are admired, who often seem to be getting ahead, It's the kind of world we live in. But the Lord Jesus came and he said that it's not supposed to be that way among you. He said, anyone who's going to take a leadership place in my kingdom, leadership in my kingdom has got to look like service. It's got to look like self-sacrifice with Jesus Christ as our ultimate example of those things. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, look at you. Not, Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were, according to worldly standards, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth or anything like that. God chose what is, frankly, foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's the way God's kingdom works, right? It inverts our expectations, turns them upside down, or like I said, right side up, really, is what's going on there. And that theme, that pattern, which is so evident, I think, in the cross of Christ, his suffering and death, doesn't begin at the cross, though it begins at the incarnation. And he came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all, and his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. He who was rich, for your sakes became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich, as Paul puts it. So a bigger view of God, a world turned right side up, and finally the history of Christmas gives us a promise that God remembers. A promise that God remembers. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The coming of Jesus shows us God remembering his promises. It shows us him, uh, the Lord following through on what he said that he would do. And that's really what all of these nine lessons read for you tonight have all been about. Working our way through the scriptures and showing us the promise of the Old Testament coming to fulfillment in this great act of God in the new, in the coming of Christ. And that did not stop with the birth of Christ. That's not where it ends. It's where the fulfillment begins. God remembered his promises. And that is not just why Jesus was born. It is why he lived a life of obedience and suffering on our behalf. It is why he laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners to take our penalty upon himself so that we could be forgiven. And it's also why, after that, God remembered his promise to Christ and powerfully raised him from the dead, never to die again. It's because he promised. That is why the Lord did it. It's because he remembered. And God always remembers. He always does what he says he is going to do. And if he remembered and he acted on those promises about the coming of Christ and the life and death and resurrection of Christ, listen, people of God, he will remember. And he will act on all of his promises to you. Lord Jesus, who came, who came to save you then, he will remember. And he will act upon his promise to come again. And that's good news for us. We serve a promise-keeping God. We have a promise-keeping Christ. A bigger view of God. A world turned right side up. And a promise that God remembers. Let's pray. Our great God, we give you thanks for the birth of your Son and for the way this reveals to us your greatness and magnifies you in our spiritual field of vision. We pray that you would indeed magnify yourself to us and to our families and to our churches this Christmas time by your grace alone and for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.